0: Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well rounded, happy, goal crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride.
1: Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. And no, I do not have this voice for the rest of my life or anything. We are just pre-recording an introduction early because I am away at a training camp as this episode is getting released. So, Peter, how's it going?
2: I mean, they might have not noticed if they didn't listen to last week, I guess, but here you go. It's going well. We're uh, rolling along here happy with with things in general.
1: I just didn't want to give anyone false hope that this is just how my voice sounds for anyone who's like super into it. Okay,
2: well, I mean, just don't draw attention to it. (laughs) (laughs) So we're here. Yeah, we have uh, John Shepp is actually our guest today. And and you you spoke to him a while ago about starting a podcast, as I recall. Is that true?
1: Yeah, yeah. We talk about that in the intro. He keeps calling me his podcast mentor, which is like a very stressful position to be in. But John is awesome. Um, So he is a teacher, a full time teacher, an ultra runner, uh a parent and a, a husband who like absolutely loves his wife like after this episode he like sent me her instagram and now i kind of love his wife okay. i told him his wife is not like a not super athletic or anything but she's invited on here anytime just so everyone knows um which also- is that
2: how she would describe herself
1: I mean, I think so. Yeah, okay. she's a she's a chef turned woodworker. Oh, okay. See, now you want to have her on the podcast.
2: They, they have a lot of roles in their lives. Yeah, okay. It's
1: awesome. Yeah, uh, he's also the host of the Trillium Running Podcast, and he's had some really. So
2: he's from Ontario. Is that he's the from Trillium? Ontario. Trillium yeah. is our flower in Ontario. We we've come through Trillium season here in the spring.
1: Yeah, and it's the podcast he's doing with Athletics Ontario. So that's
2: um, it's like track and field. Track and yeah. field. Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, so yeah, I think it's it's a super cool podcast. He has a lot of people on, and not just. I mean, it's Ontario based, but it's also like pretty big names and stuff like uh, Canadians will all know Reed set, but a lot of Americans, I think, would know him as a, a professional runner. We have
2: a lot of fast people from Ontario. Yeah. And that's yeah. pretty good. Uh, uh, do we do, I don't know if we call ours collegiate running, but uh, we have a lot of, of good like on the track as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I mean, in this episode, we really get into a ton of stuff around... Uh, I'd say ath- athleticism, athletic identity, um, his journey to ultra is actually super interesting. Um, you don't get a lot of guys who talk openly about disordered eating, um, but he actually did. And it was honestly, I think this is one of like the most meaningful episodes we've really done. Um, and honestly, talking about the balance between being a pretty serious ultra runner and being a full-time teacher, it's it's not easy. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I, this is one of my favorite episodes I've done. John is awesome, and uh, if I can count myself as this podcast mentor, I am really psyched to, to say that. Uh, so I think we'll, we'll just get right into it. Uh, so enjoy this episode with John Shep, and don't forget to head over to consummateathlete.com to grab the show notes and all of our fun newsletter stuff and everything else we're doing there. So let's get into it.
0: Uh, so welcome to the consummate athlete podcast. I am so excited that we get to do this. I feel like this is coming like full circle because like what, six months ago, we were talking about you starting a podcast in running and boom, you've done it.
3: Yep. You're my podcast mentor. Uh, you (laughs) know what I have to, I, I very much appreciate it. So when we were starting the trillion running podcast, I threw out a couple of feelers and I said, I really have. Some, like I know how to talk to people, but in terms of the podcast world, and so all credit to you and thank yous because you're the one who, uh, again, mentored me along and and gave me some of the ideas. And hey, now we're here six months later,
0: Mm -hmm. and it's it's an excellent podcast, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. But let's let's sort of back up here. Uh, What's what's your running backstory? Because you're you're in the ultra world here, but have you always been a runner? How did this evolve?
3: So you and I. And again, six months ago, I ordered your book and read through it. And so you and I actually have a very interesting commonality in our running stories. So I, in grade 12, we had to do the uh, 12 minute run. And so I'm pretty sure you did something similar, but I went in behind trees, pretended to fall over my own feet, fell on the ground and said, oh, can't do this anymore. And totally tapped out of the 12-minute run in grade 12.
0: <laughs> yep, I pretended to throw up. So same story, same story, yeah.
3: <laughs> so, so needless to say, running was, uh, we've evolved since then.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so did you do any sports in, in school, or were you just totally not, not a sport kid?
3: No, you know what? I went to a really small high school, and, and so I pretty much played on any sport that would get me out of class. Uh, I was really good in school, I'm not going to lie, but it was just, uh, there was just something about being outside, and so it was playing volleyball, it was playing soccer, it was playing baseball, it was doing rugby, flag football, again, pretty much anything that would get me out of class, but
0: but less for the love of the sport so much as the love of like the outdoors slash not being in the school.
3: (laughs) The, The love of, and I say this wholeheartedly as a teacher and because the longer I'm in education, the less and less importance I find school and the more and more importance I find in relationships and the people and the experiences. So ultimately I was just rounding out my high school experience with extracurriculars and that's the cleaned up version of it.
0: That's the college essay version of it, yeah. <laughs> okay, so how do you get from there to to ultra distance?
3: Well, so it, in a very roundabout way. So I about I guess about 15 years ago now got out of the hospital for disordered eating and found fitness.
0: Okay, and, I have to ask like was there a trigger that got you down the disordered eating like rabbit hole?
3: You know what it was, it was years of not having enough therapy and and doing the very toxic masculine version of coping, which was you don't talk about it, you don't feel it, you don't say anything. And so, yeah, at, I guess I was 21, 22, ended up in the hospital. Um, I was in trigger warning everybody here. I was, I still am, but six foot two and I was 135 pounds. So, Yeah and and not an elite marathon runner, but that's a whole other version of eating that we can talk about. Um, yeah. And honestly, I got out of the hospital and was in no way, shape or form recovered, but made the decision at that point that I couldn't wait to live until I recovered. I'd have to recover and live. And so I got into fitness and that started with 10 minutes on the treadmill, sort of five, six days a week. And it went up to a 5k and then it went up to a 10k and then it was the i i my friend Stu and I have this thing the never going a game and it, so it was the never going to run a half and then I run a half never going to run a marathon run a marathon never going to run a 50k run a 50 and
0: I'm familiar with this game yes yeah
3: <laughs> so it was honestly it was and and fitness Allowed me to see my body for what it could do as opposed to what it uh, looked like. It's allowed me to see food in a whole different light because you can't do the awesome things that we are able and fortunate to do without fueling properly. And it just ended up, I was never drawn to going faster. Um, I tried that once. I did coming off of a really large training block. I had a buddy who was doing the Toronto waterfront marathon I was like yeah hey, you know what I'll I'll hop in and do it with you and so I did about a 6 week speed training block and I shaved I don't know about 10 minutes off my marathon PB and I finished it and I was like you know what if I'd been 10 minutes slower and I hadn't gotten my PB this would not have been a fun experience this would have just right like it it really was and I mean we talk about it the process being important as well as the goal right and I didn't find as much joy in the process. And so I've just continued to gone, go further and do other cool things. So whether it was a 50 miler or, or hundred milers or 24 hour races, like it's just, those are the things that draw me to going longer, going further. And, and yeah, so that's, that's, that's how I went from 10 minutes on the treadmill to 15 years later doing hundred mile.
0: Oh my God. Amazing. Uh, I think you and I also have that in common. Cause I often say like, I really only go longer and longer because I really don't want to go shorter. Like to me, a 5k is like the hardest thing in the entire universe.
3: <laughs> One of the worst days I have had. I, so I coached cross country at not this school, but my previous school. And we were doing just like a 4k loop in the neighborhood and me and my com. it, it was really early. And so I was Following the the lead male. Get to the finish. I am totally gassed. I am like, I, I'm ready to throw up and decide like and the other coach looks at me and says, Oh, I saw you running. He's like, Yeah, he came like third in Awesome last year. I'm like, you know what? Okay. So I he's got about 10 years younger than me, and I'm keeping up with him. But yeah, shorter, no, thank you. 5k, 10k. I'll leave that to, to other people. Yeah.
0: No, just the worst. Absolutely the
3: worst. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. So to come back to the disordered eating though, because I think like you mentioned this as, you know, the realization that you know, you're fueling the work that you're doing and that actually helped you kind of come to terms with eating. But for a lot of people, um, running culture actually oh, yeah. can do the opposite. Uh, so you kind of like, you're sort of one of like the very few success stories that came from disordered eating came out of it due to running. Uh normally that story
3: flip-flops. Yeah, you yeah, running turns disordered and you know what it's a it is a I call it the recovering recoverer, right? It's it's it I truly believe that it is a life of recovery just like an alcoholic, just like a drug user. It's I am going to be in recovery because this is my this is the blackness that's stuck in my head and and it's how I'm wired it's I know that when I get stressed this happens and so it's being on top of therapy making sure I am going to talk things out and and yeah being being diligent that it isn't um, mm-hmm. and we've got stop gaps in place like when I'm in a really hard training block, my wife weighs me and she, cause we know if I'm under a certain amount of weight that my head goes not so cuckoo bonkers and goes into the wrong places. And so she'll weigh me. I won't look at it. I still don't know how much I weigh to the point of numbers being not so good for my brain. And if I'm lower then she says, okay, you gotta eat, eat a bit more. So it does, it absolutely has the ability to be disordered. I think it's, it is, it is riding the edge of a lightning bolt. I heard that phrase recently. So it's, uh, I appreciate what it allows me to do and the people that's the biggest thing is the people I get to connect with through this sport and through the experiences I've had. And, and I mean, you brought it up as a teacher, I can use this, my history for good right? Like Mm -hmm. I, my continued recovery, I, I joke with kids. It's like, look, especially now. So I'm 15 years out of the hospital and I'm working in a high school. And so I've said to a couple of kids because they're like, well, why, how do you know this? Why do you, why do you want to help me? And I'm like, kid, I've been crazy longer than you've been alive. Like, this is (laughs) like, this is my, this is what I know. And, and I'm able to bring that, but I'm, I am i think I'm only able to bring that because I'm conscious of I'm in recovery. I will be in recovery. And, and that's a a conscious continual balancing act with, Mm. with some of the things that we put on our plate.
0: That's such a good outlook. And I love the incredibly practical thing you just said about having your wife weigh you, you don't see the number I think. And I was actually literally just talking to you. an expert on body image and, and working, who tends to work with teens. And we were talking about that exact thing. Um, you know, weight sometimes does need to be measured and managed, um, but often it is not helpful for the person being weighed to actually know that number. Uh, whether, whether you're trying to avoid losing too much weight or you're trying to lose weight like for, you know, whatever reason, mm-hmm. I think it's so helpful to disconnect from the number on the scale and just know, which way you're trending. And I I keep saying, I've said it on this podcast probably like 20 times. I'm like, could someone please make a smart scale that you can step on that does not like give you the weight. It just like gives you like a red light or a green light or something. Yep. Um, But in absence of that existing, uh, finding a partner who can check that for you.
3: is Yeah. I've got my person. Yeah. I got my person. And uh, I mean, to your point, right? Like it's I know this thing's in the back of my head. I know I, I can't weigh myself. I know that um, there, I I mean, hell, I don't even know where the scale is in my house. That's how, that's how much we're if my brain. And I mean, as a teacher, April, May, June, this is our, this is our mile 90 and a hundred miler, right? Like this is the time that the demons start poking up and you get that thing telling you to, you need to stop, you need to stop, you need to, and so i 'll go hunting for the scale if I know where it is, um, similarly, if i 'm in a conversation with people about diets or especially around my kids, I think this is probably where i 'm most conscious of it is i 've got a four year old girl and a two year old boy and i mean i 'm case in point right male eating disorder right here, so it doesn 't discriminate based on gender, but i'm very conscious of of how we phrase things in front of them and and conversations about food and and normalizing it and, and all of that, because like, I didn't grow up in a circumstance where it was like dance or like I I'm in an art school. And so we've got drama kids and dance kids and, and the cultures in those are very, can be very disordered. Mm -hmm. And so just understanding that our, our world has that irrespective of how we grow up, So we just want to be conscious of, of reversing those things. Like if they're, if they end up having, I mean, if they're nuts when they're 16, they're coming by it, honestly, like me by myself, my genes, like they're going to have it. So we may as well give them the tools to be able to navigate it. And
0: Mm -hmm. And I think this is, this is such an important conversation. And it's one that we don't have often enough on this podcast uh, with parents, I don't think athletic parents necessarily mean to maybe put some of this stuff on kids, but I think some of it gets picked up. So uh, I nannied for a bunch of years and the woman I nannied for was a runner. And I remember her daughter was around four years old. And I remember her daughter looking in the mirror and just like, I don't think she even knew what she was saying, but she was like, God, I'm so fat. Mm -hmm. And I don't think she had a clue what it meant, but she had seen her mom say that. And her mom was, you know, a runner. And I think like, just kind of had like a complex about what runners had to look like. It was all stuff that normal, like surface level, like didn't really seem like a big deal. But when I saw that little girl, like say that, I was just like, oh no, everything we say gets so it- like picked up by our kids. And I think athletes are kind of maybe like the worst, uh, endurance athletes can be like the worst at this, right? Cause we're so tied to, you know the, the racing weight or the power to weight or all of these things. Um, So I think having that, uh, in your head, as you're talking to your kids, is just so important.
3: Well, and the number of stories that we can tell about uh, like red S and, and low weight and, and what that does for stress fractures and bone density. And, and that honestly, that's one of the things I love about ultras. I mean, my first, 50k so i the first 50k i did was in 2017 it was the Niagara Ultra and it was a 50k gorgeous course it takes you along the Niagara Parkway and yeah it's not a trail race so well but it's exact thank you you're it's talking to 50... the person
0: who literally if you look at my strava is it's, embarrassing because it's just out and backs on our rail trail here you know and i'm so a, happy
3: it's a 50k road race it's gorgeous you go along the Niagara Parkway uh, if you're not careful, your phone gets kicked into roaming because you're too close to the U.S., but you go past the the Canadian Falls and apologies to any U.S. listener, but we win when it comes to our falls first. Yeah, no question. 100%. And and you go past the falls. It's an outback and it, gorgeous course. But I remember registering like I, I went in the night before and went to the reg desk and there was a gentleman there who was running the 50K. And was asking, did they have an XXL sweatshirt? And like, no, of course, we're not going to order an XX. So they gave him the XL. And as he's walking away, they're chirping the guy because he's an XXL body. And my dad was with me and I looked at him afterwards. It's like, the guy's running a 50K. I don't care what he looks like. He's running a 50K. That's the 1% type of people. And so that's one of the things I love about ultras is it is all body sizes. It is all abilities. It does very much normalize. It's more about what you can do than what you can, what you look like. And it's not like the starting line of a marathon. It's not like the starting line of the tour de France. Talk about disordered eating and some of those habits. (laughs) But... (laughs) It's, it's very much about like who, what you can do on race day and what, mm-hmm. and what your body can do and proving that all bodies are able to, to do this amazing thing that, that I get to do. And so that's one of the things I do love about ultras is it normalizes a variety of bodies
0: totally agree. Also side note, I always get a men's triple XL t-shirt at every single ultra I do because my dad is a triple XL and you know what? He loves getting my race t-shirts. So for any race organizers listening, like make sure you have the big sizes because like my dad is so proud to wear that stuff. And like, I'm not going to wear the t-shirt around that often, but my dad lives in them. So (laughs) (laughs) that's my weird soapbox about big sizes in the (laughs) t-shirts. Okay. So we have now mentioned the fact that you're a teacher a few times. And I know, you know, you also just mentioned this is the hectic time of year. So A, thanks for taking the time to chat. Uh, B, how the hell do you balance uh, teaching and training, especially when the biggest teaching time of year Happens to coincide with when most runners are ramping up for their major Yeah,
3: races. you know what my so My wife for 15 years was in the restaurant industry for 10 years Was a restaurant chef and she cool. used to Oh, yeah, <laughs> just like,
0: yep. Oh, yeah, which by her. the way
3: little <laughs> Like the com- let's cue the comedy side note that the disordered Eater ends up marrying a chef like there's okay <laughs> it Right. It was. So for 10 years, she was a restaurant chef and she used to have this battle with herself because there were certain restrictions that she had to do with the restaurant. It was, you had to balance hot side and cold side when building a menu. Cause she builds her menus every six months. She's phenomenal. And, and, or she'd have to deal with this inventory, not this inventory, what she could order, what she couldn't. Um, whether or not she had access to a a deep fryer, all of these, these lines and they change every six months. And so I'd say to her, it's like creativity without any boundaries is just, it doesn't happen. You need those lines in order to color. And I'm not necessarily using the, the analogy of you have to color in the lines, but those lines are what truly make that color art. And it's the, the Sistine Chapel isn't as beautiful if it isn't on a roof. The sunrise isn't as gorgeous if it doesn't have the horizon, right? Like you need that color in lines and that shifts all the time. So to go to your question, we have in our lives always had different lines that we had to color in. So when it was before kids, and she was working on weekends. It was okay. My long runs can be on weekends and I don't really have to worry about it, but I wouldn't be running very much during the week because that was the time that she and I got to spend with each other. When I was working in the restaurant with her, cause I had the, I got to do that awesome thing where you get to work with your, your person. And I know that you get to as well, right? Like it's, people will sometimes ask, well, how could you work with your wife? It's like, she's my person. She's my best friend. this was awesome. So when I was working with her at the restaurant, it would be okay. So I got to run into work or I got to run in. Like I, I would finished the shift. She'd clear up and I'd run home or I, uh, that's when I started picking up cross country is uh, with coaching because I got to run with the kids mm-hmm. um, and it had all those added benefits of, of just being flexible. So now with, a four-year-old and a two-year-old and work in the job that I do. And my wife's transitioned out of the restaurant industry into, she's got an at-home woodworking business.
0: Which I, I love. F- and like, side note, I'm like, I'm trying to figure out like a consummate athlete reason to get her on the podcast now, but uh,
3: you know what? <laughs> I love it. So I, I need to not have her make more friends than me. This is like, she is. Yeah. I'm like, did you just
0: get her on the phone right now? I, you know what? You, you know,
3: I, I go to, a, I go to a race. And I I remember at the Halliburton, Halliburton 50 mile, we're going on a tangent, but I come into the aid station, never met anybody here. And I come to the aid station like, oh, you're Shars' husband. I was like, of course, she's already made more friends than me. I'm running 50 miles and she's making more friends with me. So, yes, she is an amazing human being. She'd be lovely to have on. But now with a four year old and two year old and she's got the at home business, it's um. I'll do some split runs. So I know I'm probably not supposed to, but I'll do like if I've got a 14 mile run scheduled for a day, I might do seven in the morning and seven uh, in the afternoon. Or um, if I've got two runs where it's a 10 miler and a like two 10 milers in the week, I might combine those two because it's easier for me to do it all at once and sort of be inconvenient for three days out of the week than four or five. Uh, I've used for the last, well, since 2017, uh, relentless forward progress by the, uh, I run far Byron Powell, Brian Powell, sorry. <laughs> and his, uh, his schedule sort of five days a week, but you can split the fifth day into two sides. And so you end up doing four days a week. And so that's worked well for me. Probably. It means that right now, when I have to double up those runs, I'm doing less speed work than I'd like to do. And it's a, I mean, it's one of the fortunate things about me going long is I don't need as much speed work, but I'm trying to be more conscious of that. Now, again, lines and color, right? My lines changed. And as a result, I wasn't able to get as much speed work in. And now I just need to find out a place to do that. So for instance, now I'll do it on the second half of a two hour run is I'll do the first hour and then I'll do sort of, at least in this block, uh, of, i guess about 4 to 6 weeks i'm doing about 2 minutes on 2 minutes off of speed work and i'll do about 20 to 30 minutes of that a week within that 2 hour run and so i'm able to get it but then it's mm-hmm. also things like i mean my 4 year old loves to draw and paint so i'll be on the treadmill in the basement while she's painting and drawing and then if her brother wakes up from his nap early then the two of them along with me we're watching paw patrol for an hour while i finish my run so it's it very much is uh, the lines have changed, so I've got to color differently. But it it takes some some work, and and I mean, we talked about therapy. It also took me not uh, taking pride in being the last one in the parking lot coming home mm-hmm. from work, and just being conscious of I can work better, but I don't have to work longer. And That's
0: huge, yeah.
3: Well, and and control freak and a type personality. I mean, a lot of disordered eaters are similar ways, right? They're trying to find control. And so I wanted to take pride in the things that I did within the day, as opposed to having to be the, they're the earliest and they're the longest. And so, yeah, the lines have changed. So I color differently. And so this training cycle looks a little different, but trying to work my best in. And the other thing that I will shout out and Uh, productivity podcast that I listened to a few years back is my wife and I sit down at the end of the week and say, okay, what are we doing next week? And put all our big rocks in, right? It's the, okay. So what nights are, is she going to do shop stuff? Um, What night am I going to do podcast stuff? What night am I going to run? What couple of nights are we going to spend together? Because we definitely prioritize that. And if it matters, we make time for it. We don't just find time for it. And you know what, sometimes it means that I'm doing my physio while my kids are having a picnic in the basement.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. You mentioned physio. I'm glad you did because my Mm -hmm. next question was uh, any, any like strength, mobility, recovery, like where does that stuff fit in? Because I know that's, that tends to be the first to go the second uh, people are busy.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So Uh, The strength work for me isn't as difficult because I've always, I mean, when I was doing 10 minutes on the treadmill, I was also then spending two hours in the gym. So it's, it's been a part and I appreciate having that strength component. So if I'm running four days a week, I'll probably do three days worth of, of strength training as well. But I also Like I appreciate being able to do that 50 K in Niagara on the Saturday and have my wife call me and say, Hey, I cut off my finger. Can you help me work father's day brunch? And okay. Granted it was a little bit of her finger, but come on, it's still part of her finger. Uh, And so the next day I came in and I worked father's day brunch uh, and I like being able to be a consummate athlete. I'm going to use the term, right? Like Mm -hmm. i like to be able to yes, run, but then also, uh, if need be carry carrying 800 pound laser into the house with a friend of mine. Right. So strength has never really been an issue. The physio, I'm not going to lie, has been, is the trickier thing. And it's one of the reasons why I've combined runs during the week. And I may run less days because it's harder to do the physio on five days a week versus four. Um <laughs> I use my phone to my advantage. I keep my physio on a task list. And so if I'm waiting for the photocopier at work, I'm flossing my legs, I'm stretching my calves, I'm scrunching my foot. Um, but then also, I mean, a couple of days a week, I'll set my kids up in the basement with something self-sufficient and that cleans easily off their faces and off the floor. And I'm there doing my band work and calf raises and single leg squats. And so it's again, getting creative, but, But I also appreciate being able to model for them, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yesterday, I'm sure there's tons of parent groups that are going to come after me, but like I was doing my band work and all of a sudden I look over and my son, who's two, is deadlifting a 10-pound kettlebell and my daughter's got the 20-pound kettlebell going up. And I got to tell you, their form was significantly better than mine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have often said I really wish that Fisher Price would come out with like, a little plastic like bench press and like all like a squat rack or something because I think kids would be like so happy to like be doing that next to their their moms and dads for strength training
3: yeah so they they both proved to me yesterday that even though I've been weightlifting for 15 years that in this house I have the worst form out of anybody
0: oh kids have amazing (laughs) form it is so irritating oh my gosh yeah like they can squat like butt to the ground like it's nobody's business so frustrating
3: so yeah, and, and hopefully they end up having a better relationship with it than than I did. And and they get to model healthy lifestyle. I mean, that was one of the things that both my wife and I felt was really important is yes, we're parents, but we also want to be people to them as well, right? Like we want to model all of ourselves, all of our be, be open about our, our flaws, be open about I mean, we're not having therapy sessions with our kids, but like, how do they navigate when they get hijacked? How do they navigate Mm -hmm. when things get tough? And, and so part of that's modeling, like, yeah, daddy works out pretty much every day a week because he likes being able to help people, right? Like uh, I did a 12 hour run last summer and it was a looped course, 7k looped course. And there was a storm right at the tail end of the race, and so my last loop, I still say I should get brownie points for lifting up a tree and moving it over to the side of the.
0: That should be a trail. Points.
3: There you go, right? But I mean, I can only do that because I lift and and I keep strong as well, and and mm. that I appreciate that. But again, making sure it doesn't get disordered, so I gotta mm. eat right and sleep well and recover as well
0: ooh the sleep word <laughs> cuz that's also the other thing that tends to tends to go when we're busy and working at all of these things so what's what's like the sleep schedule look like what do you aim for
3: i i think one of the biggest things is that i'm not a screen guy i i very much was i mean when i back 15 years ago, before I get in the hospital, I was four hours a night, three hours a night, two hours a night. I was, it was ugly. And so I definitely appreciate the power of sleep to keep you sane. And so honestly, I think the biggest thing is when we moved into our new house, I guess about three years ago, we just by happenstance didn't hook up our TV and it just became something that we just didn't have. So I, I find that when your when you don't have that screen, your circadian rhythms are much more natural. And so even when I am up at 5am to go out for a workout, I've got no qualms of going to sleep at nine o'clock or hell even eight 30. Like if yeah. I'm, if I'm on the couch downstairs, the kids are asleep and I've, I'm falling asleep, reading a book. I'm like, okay, socially acceptable bedtime. It's 8am or it's 8pm. So <laughs> I, uh, no, I sleep definitely is, is a big giant rock. And I think screens are are huge pieces of interference for that Mm -hmm. and I mean I did work with uh, in our safe schools department over the last previous to my current role and that was one of the things that I worked on a lot was problematic use of technology and the impact that it had on sleep and and it's just all the research says like just keep your phone out of your bedroom keep your phone away from you because even if it's I mean I remember I used to tell a stat where it's if you've got your phone on the table as you're having dinner with somebody and obviously pre social distancing and this whole pandemic nightmare, but your IQ actually went down 10 points by just having your phone on the table. So like it clearly has an impact on us all. And so I think I honestly just think diligence around screens is huge because let's be honest, there's more psychologists at Google than we could ever hope to have. In in any industry, especially the education industry. So like that thing's smarter than me. I know it is. So I I just need to protect myself from it a little bit. So, and that's probably what keeps sleep. That and my my youngest decided to sleep through the night when he was three months old. So God bless him. (laughs) Because I've been able to sleep through the night for the last couple of years.
0: Yeah. Which is huge. Um, okay. So you have all this stuff on your plate, you're training, you're teaching, uh, and then suddenly you're starting a running podcast, the Trillium running podcast. Uh, what made you decide to add that into your to-do yeah.
3: list? You know what? I've always worked. Uh, I've, I mean, when I was in grade 12, I started working with four. Well, technically I started working for my mom and it was sports marketing and, and I was, grateful and fortunate to be able to do that with her for 15 years but throughout there it was I'd work at the restaurant with my wife I worked for a butcher for 10 years doing butchering butchering and catering Uh, which side note as a vegan very interesting brain yeah I see the eyebrow it's uh it's an interesting story in and of itself, but I've honestly, I've been doing work like that since I could remember just working with and for good people. Uh, I mean, I, and those are the people I wanted to see continue. And so when athletics Ontario had put out a call for support and volunteers, I said, and it was within two weeks of my grandfather passing away. So he, I mean, not, I mean, it's sad, but not tragic in the slightest. He was 90. The Thursday, we went and saw him with the kids. So we got to see his great grandkids. He read a book, he colored in a book. Friday, he went and won a round of golf. Saturday, he had lunch with friends. Sunday, he woke up, had breakfast, sat in his chair, and that was it. So he said, he got to go. Yeah, he set a pretty high standard for, for a graceful exit. Mm-hmm. But he was a phenomenal human being. And he coached for Athletics Ontario and and he coached track for I guess he came to Canada when he was in his 20s. He's probably coached for over 50, 60 years. And so when I it, when he passed away in Athletics Ontario sent out their call for help, I'm like, you know what? This is just this is, is fortuitous. And so I connected with their road and trail coordinator, uh, Cheryl, who's been amazing to work with. And it was like, okay, where where do you think you can help? And so I had put together this sort of resume of 15 years of sports marketing, working with uh, large road race series. I worked with Ironman Canada, Multisport Canada, uh, just some phenomenal people um, throughout that. And so taking that sort of lens of sports marketing and looking at Athletics Ontario and saying, look, I'm not going to be able to coach the Olympic level athletes like my grandfather did. What can I give? And so between the sports marketing background, the running background, like my personal running history, but then also the work that I've done and continued to do for students with special ed needs, uh, like I do at work, uh, having a real equity drive um, for those who are underserved, those who are underrepresented. And I said, look, how do we get the message of Athletics Ontario to those that we're not already reaching? That was always a huge thing for me was who are we not reaching and how do we engage them? Because our running community, the ultra community, the trail community, the road community, we're awesome. This is an amazing, right? This is an amazing community, and I know I knock on. I mean, if anyone's listening to the podcast, I will knock on on triathletes sometimes. I'll knock on road runners because who doesn't? (laughs) because, Because let's be honest, there's only a certain. I mean, I could tell stories from from the road, but even in those circumstances, right? Like. Even those communities, and I don't even need to qualify it, but like, if you've ever been at the last hour of an Ironman, you know that that community is amazing because everybody comes out and, and trail and ultra, it's the same thing. Road races, just with the mass, the the people that just come out to watch and cheer, like this is, this is an amazing community, but I'm also conscious that even though we say you can just put a pair of running shoes on and go, it's not that easy. And so I I sort of balanced all these things that I, I felt like I had a skill set in. And I said, look, we need to get this message out. We need to bring people in. And we can do that through a podcast. We can do that by, by speaking with people who, yes, are the road race directors and the the Olympic athletes, but then also speaking with those who are in the grassroots, who are working to support LGBTQ runners, who are supporting Black runners, BIPOC runners, Indigenous runners, uh, differently abled athletes, being able to bring them into to a larger platform. And so that's kind of how the podcast started was Okay, this is a this is a message that we want to get out. This is a community that we want to build, and not just by saying the same thing to the same people, right? Like we need a delivery mechanism for this awesomeness, and so that's kind of how the podcast started.
0: I love it. I love it. You've had what would you say like 15, 20 episodes at this point?
3: Yeah. So as of today, or as of now, we've released fifteen. So as we sit, we had uh, Alan Wood of Rally Beer last week. We've got uh, the uh, wonderful founders from Endurance Tap next week, and then we're rolling into the Ottawa Marathon. So I've been grateful to be able to connect with them and do a bit of a, a series with them. So we're I've been catching up with them every week leading up to the Ottawa Marathon, just sort of talking about what does it take to put on a big a big scale race like that.
0: Awesome! It's funny I've actually interviewed that race director before and had like well, those exact conversations, not on this podcast, just for other articles and. It's such a cool crew that uh, that handles the the Ottawa Marathon for sure. Um, okay, now I'm going to put you on the spot. Favorite interview moment that you've had so far? Don't so there were
3: actually, you know what? There's actually there's been a couple. So I've been, I I was looking back, knowing that we we'd be talking about it. I was looking back at the different interviews that I've done, and one of them was with the CEO of Athletics Ontario, Paul Osland, and at the beginning of the interview i'd asked him about he'd qualified as a an 800 meter athlete but then ended up in the four by 400 meters for uh, the olympics and so how did that happen and so he loops back at the end of this interview and and it ended up being about an hour but we talked for two it took a lot of editing but at the end of it he said you know what the one person who believed in me was your grandfather and so that was and and i got to share that with my grandmother like I got to show her the video of that. And so that to me was full circle, right? Like this is, this is a reminder of why I'm doing this because he was, again, he dedicated a huge portion of his life to this. And, and so if I can continue on that legacy and and I mean, I don't want to short shift my mom, but she carried that on from my grandfather to me and, and she's continuing to do it. She's the chair of athletics Canada right now. And so, it definitely is a a family business. And so that was, that was one of them. Uh, The other one was I got to interview Michael Brennan, who's the race director for the pride and remembrance run. And a friend of mine who passed away last summer, he was very much a, uh, an advocate of pride. He was, he'd always be sending me his levels of enjoyment at that time of year. So I was really grateful to have the opportunity to share that message of the pride and remembrance run and, and build the community uh, through LGBTQ rights and, and advocate advocate for that and sort of in honor of him. So I liked, I liked those opportunities. I mean, I say it on the podcast, I get to talk to good people or meet new good people or make new friends. And, and so the ability to connect with people about those things have been, I've really appreciated.
0: mm mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. Those are such, those are such good interview moments. I'm like, I have goosebumps from that. So <laughs> I love it. Um, okay. Now you have had a lot of race directors on. You have a couple coming up. Um, and race directors, I'm actually super interested in because I, I find they tend to have really good nuggets of wisdom for new runners in a way that um veteran runners tend not to uh to necessarily have. Like, no offense to the the Olympians. You know, you had Reed set on, like amazing. But I sometimes feel like those of us who've been running for a lot of years sort of take for granted a lot of like the tips that uh, would be really helpful for newer runners. So have you got any good uh, nuggets of wisdom for new runners from directors as far as like getting into racing?
3: Yeah, the the two that I really reflect on are a number of them have talked about the community and find find a tribe, whether that's a local run group, whether that's a friend that you go out running with, whether that's a... Uh, I mean, for me, it was a a buddy that I coached cross country with that a couple of weeks ago, I went and dragged to a race down in Pennsylvania because I'm like, Hey, i would be crude. You want to come out for this 12 hour run? But it was, it was very much a uh, find your community, find your tribe. And, and then the other one, and (laughs) this comes from somebody who worked with Timex Canada for over a decade is lose your watch sometimes and lose your watch, lose your Strava uh, don't worry about your pace, worry more about how you feel and and really connect with how you feel. And so a number of race directors, athletes, I mean, for the most part, the race directors have been athletes in the past, but those two are, are a couple of the things that really, really scream are find your tribe. And and then also, I guess the losing your watch thing is more about just finding yourself, right? Like mm-hmm. finding, finding how you connect with the trail, finding how you connect with the road. I mean, I'm, I'm like you, I've got a gorgeous rail trail out by me and, and I love being able to go out there. I mean, it's, I could go 50 K in one direction, 50 K back. And it's, it's, it's gorgeous. So mm-hmm. being able to lose the watch and pay attention to what's around you, um, I mean, I'm not going to call it mindfulness or being present or what have you, but I mean, fundamentally, that's what it is.
0: I love it. So find your people, find yourself, and also maybe just find the nearest porta potty and know where registration is. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, line up for the porta potties early. Yeah. Make sure yep. you stay. In, yep. Make sure you stay in your appropriate corral, and don't give the aid stations grief if they don't have your green apple flavored goo and it's just a caramel one because they're doing their best.
0: True. Although now, now I'm remembering, like I forget who made. It. I think it was Hammer. The like apple pie flavored gel was maybe like my favorite thing in the entire universe. And now that you said it, <laughs> that's going to be in my head. I'm like, oh, now, now I need to order this. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, you've also had all these uh, these high level runners on. Have you gotten any any tips that you're taking into training and racing from any of them, <laughs> or tips that you wish you could apply but maybe don't really work with your life?
3: You know, one of the things that I I think about is just the diversity of training that different individuals have had. I mean, I look at, you talked about two high-level athletes. You've mentioned Reed, right? So Reed set, two-time Olympian, won the Quebec Megatrail last year, is going into Western States, uh, has gotten a sponsor's ticket for Western States, the 100-miler down in in the States uh, at the end of June, which you also have a friend going to. And I'm I'm very curious to see how those... Uh, two wonderful Canadians do at this race. But his training, because of his sponsorship and his previous accomplishments, he can train during the day. He can train when his kids are at school. And then I look at another person. So Victoria Brown, who is the 72-hour world record holder, who just did not get the press that I think she deserved for being just an absolute badass
0: like I mean, beast with that world record, and also like not that young, and like still just destroyed that record. Like, yeah, I
3: mean she's she's late forties. She runs her own business, hold the carbs, um, which is a keto friendly uh, mailer mail order business. She again has has uh, relatively young kids. And so she's got to work her training within there. So she not only has the running training, but she's got the triathlon training as well. And so it very much is for her, she's a lower mileage athlete. So I think you you sort of take all of these different ideas and you say, what's going to work for you. Like, I mean, I know that for me, if I ran six, seven days a week, I'd have probably a better running time, like a better running times, but I have a less happy family. Uh, and probably a less happy me. Cause I'm not balancing that amount of time on the road and the amount of time with family. Um, uh, but yeah, just, just seeing how, even with them, it's not a one size fits all right. It very much is an N of one when it comes to these pro athletes, just as much as it does for us everyday runners.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Um, uh, no, I think that's, that's the biggest thing that we get from ours too, like it's always so interesting talking to the different athletes and realizing even ones that have similar, similar race schedules and similar times are training completely differently. Um, I work for one cycling team and I was interviewing four riders who are in the same gravel series this summer. And it's like their main thing. And all four of them have completely different training schedules and like the way that they're going to structure their race season, completely different from each other, even though they're literally on the same team doing the exact same, like main series so it's yeah and doing
3: them. yeah and especially with this sort of training it it can also be very geography dependent right like for me i'm in a relatively flat space the the highest hill i've got i don't know might take me 90 seconds to run up it's not these sort of epic climbs that you're going to get in quebec that you're going to get in uh even some of the hamilton area stuff or where or in collingwood right like Mm -hmm. it's you're not going to be able to get that that level of climbing. And so even geographically, the training is going to be different. Not only, I mean, there's just so many factors and unlike the the high end marathon runners who for the most part are all running hundred mile weeks, 110 mile weeks. You look at the starting line of a, a trail race or an ultra race, and you've got those who are running hundred, 110, 120 mile weeks. And then you've got others that are doing 50, 60 mile weeks. And, and it, you can't, gauge how they're going to finish based off that so it very much is a what's working for your body what's working for your life and and being that end of one and just going out and racing
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i always find that really funny when i hear about marathoners doing like the 110 mile weeks and i'm like oh no i'm training like half of that Um, but that's that's how my coach does his training and like claire gallagher when she was training for western six the year she won was doing 70 mile as like her highest weeks So yeah, it can, it can be done. Um, And the the last thing I wanted to ask you is any, any really weird advice for someone said something and you're just like, "Huh? (sighs) the fact that you're like giggling about this.
3: (laughs) So when I, I, it was actually, when I talked to, I think it was Michael Brennan. So the pride and remembrance run. And I, I told him a story. And because we, he and I had a similar conversation. It was one of those like minus 30 degree days. And so we're in true Canadian fashion talking about the weather and the snow. And cause of course, and I told him a story about what something my grandfather told me was when he had, so he was a sprint coach. Uh, he'd do hurdles and sort of the, the 200, 400, 110 hurdles, that sort of deal. And in the winter, when his athletes were doing speed training, they used to swallow vaseline to make sure their lungs didn't get yeah exactly their lungs didn't get too cold, so yeah, weirdest piece of advice, you know what? but again, that's n of one. it worked for the the athletes themselves, and so yeah, weirdest piece of advice that came out of the podcast is probably that one um,
0: yep yeah. that uh that wins for <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, before we wrap up, uh, tell, like, what's, uh, what's on your race schedule coming up? What are you up to?
3: Yeah, I've, I've been extremely fortunate that, and you probably found this as well, the race directors in Ontario, the race directors in Canada, for the large part, honoured many of their registrations coming out of the pandemic. I mm-hmm. can honestly say that I did not lose a cent to any race registration over covid and so all kudos to the race directors in ontario and in canada because that is the exception to the rule i've talked to people who have lost thousands of dollars on races in the states and you know what their refund policy allows them to do it like i'm i'm talking about the ontario and canadian race directors who have gone above and beyond so i'm fortunate in the sense that i've got a pretty uh stacked race schedule so i try to I try to peak three times a year. And so I had a peak at the beginning of April. I got to run a 12 hour race down in Pennsylvania. That was a blast. And again, I got to call in in some chips with a running buddy of mine and he, and you know what, he came in. And so I got that, that little bit of connection, but uh, happy trails racing. So Jeff Rothorn, I've had him on the podcast, but again, similarly good people. Uh, They have a event at the end of July called tally in the valley. And I've run their six-hour there, I've run their 12-hour there, and this year it's going to be the first time they have a 100-miler. So that's going to be my attempt at an official 100-miler. I did one last year on Father's Day weekend. We called it the DIY 100. We set out a course and used my car as an aid station, and, and we did it. But this will be the first one with a buckle, and I'm glad that uh, all things being equal, that Jeff will be the one that I get to do that one for. And then at the end uh, in November, I've got uh, Tunnel Hill 100. So I've been looking forward to doing that race for about three years. And, and again, I'll credit to Steve Durbin down in, in uh, I think it's Illinois, Virginia or Illinois, um, that uh, he honored that deferral. And so I'm going to be able to do that at the end of November and, and just some races in between. So to be honest, uh, I'll i will do races, especially pandemic times i'll do races so that i can connect with the race directors to support them right like these individuals i mean again i think of of happy trails or or eric darcy with with uh uh, five peaks or a number of the different i mean even the larger the toronto marathon series right like these individuals have had a tough go over the past couple of years and unlike some other industries have not been um bolstered up by the government and this isn't a knock on the government but it's just the entertainment industry didn't have the same uh, funding that uh, for instance the restaurant industry did and so I tried Mm -hmm. through the pandemic and coming out of it to really support good people and and see that they can make it through to the other side because that's one of the things I've really found not just with the podcast but with the past couple of years is we want to make sure that good people make it through, and we want to support good people. I mean, I've been doing that whether it was the podcast or, again, working for my butcher or the farm that we drive an hour away. Because when they were closer to a school that I was working with, they donated bushels of apples at no cost. Like just supporting good people and trying to to make it so that they thrive and they survive as well. So uh, just some races interspersed there and volunteering and. Come on, we get to do some cool stuff. That's that's what it comes down to, is we really get to do some cool stuff. And so I'll be able to be at the Ottawa Marathon and and interviewing some people there and and some races in between.
0: Oh, awesome. That's so cool. That sounds like an excellent season. Um, although the downside I've I've now found of like putting all of these like big distance things on your calendar is like there's not really a downtime that happens, as I'm like now finding. I was so that's, that's a bit of the, the piss off of it, but it's, it's all good. <laughs> it turns out you get bored when you don't run for a week anyway. So
3: might as well, well be we, training. Yeah. And, and there are different races too, right? So Tally's a more traditional trail race. And so I'll train differently for that than I will for Tunnel Hill, which is relatively flat. And I mean, I'd probably argue that Tunnel Hill has less than a hundred miles than a couple of loops at, at Tally down in, in Dundas conservation area. So it'll be, Yeah. Different training. It'll be more rail trail stuff. I might do some cool FKT stuff on the rail trail I've got out by me. And, and so, yeah, again, get to do some cool stuff, see training and racing and running and in a light that feeds my, we call it my ness, right? Like there's the blackness and then there's the, the me. So I, I go out, I run and I return a more me version of me. And that's, that's why we do this.
0: So good. Okay. Tell everyone where they can listen to your podcast and give us the name again, just so we have it.
3: Appreciate it. It's the Trillium Running Podcast presented by Athletics Ontario. We release a new podcast every week on Thursdays, and you can find it on the Athletics Ontario website. You can find it on their Instagram at AthleticsONT or on your podcast player of choice, whether it's Apples, iTunes, Oranges whichever. (laughs)
0: Amazing. Ah, John, thank you so much for doing this. This is such a blast. We went so many different directions and I loved all of them.
3: (laughs) Thank you so much, Molly.
0: Thanks so much for tuning into the consummate athlete podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox.